Part One, Chapter Two of Cupid in Africa by Percival Christopher Wren. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part One, Chapter Two, Mr. Charles Stein Brooker, or Herr Karl Stein Brooker. When it was known in the cantonment of Hazarigur that Major Hugh Walsingham Green was engaged to Dolly Dennison, the folk were astonished, and a not uncommon comment was, "'Poor old Walsingham Green!' in spite of the fact that the young lady was very beautiful, accomplished, and fascinating. Here also another remark that was frequently heard was that opposites attract, for Dolly was known to be seventeen, and the Major, though not very much more than twice her age, looked as old as her father, the Sessions judge, and he looked more like the girl's grandfather than her father. It was agreed, however, that it was no case of kidnapping, for Dolly knew her way about, knew precisely how many beans made five, and needed no teaching from her grandmother as to the sucking of eggs, or anything else. For Dolly, poor child, had put her hair up and come out, at the age of fifteen, in an Indian cantonment. Little more need to be said to excuse almost anything she might do or be. Motherless, she had run her father's hospitable house for the last two years, as well as her weak and amiable father, and when Major Walsingham Green came to Hazarigur, he found this pitiable spoilt child, a child who never had any childhood, the borough mem saab of the place, in virtue of her position as the head of the household of the senior civilian. With the manners, airs, and graces of a woman of thirty, she was a blasé and world-weary babe, fed up with dances, gymkhanas, garden parties, race-meetings, and picnics, and as experienced and cool a hand at a flirtation as any garrison hack or station bell in the country. Dolly knew the men with whom one flirts but does not marry, and the men one marries but with whom one does not flirt. Mr. Charles Stain Brooker was the pride of the former. Major Walsingham Green, facile princep of the latter. Charles was the loveliest, daringest, wickedest flirt you ever and Hugh was a man of means and position, with an old Tudor place in Dorset. So Charles for fun, and Hugh for matrimony, just as soon as he suggested it. She hoped Hugh would be quick too, for Charles had a terrible fascination and power over her. She had been frightened at herself one moonlight picnic, frightened at Charles's power and her own feelings, and she feared the result if Hugh, who was most obviously of a coming-on disposition, dallied and doubted. If Hugh were not quick, Charles would get her, for she preferred volcanoes to icebergs, and might very easily forget her worldly wisdom, and be carried off her feet some night, as she lurked in a cala jugger with the daring, darling, wicked Charles, whose little finger was more attractive and mysterious than the Major's whole body. Besides, the Major was a grey-haired widower, with a boy at school in England, and so dull and prosperous. But, ere too late, the Major proposed, and was accepted. Charles was, or affected to be, ruined and broken-hearted, and the wedding took place. The Major was like a boy again, for a little while, and Dolly felt like a girl taken from an hotel in Mentone, and immured in a convent in Siberia. For Major Hugh Walsingham Green would have none of the goings-on that had made Dolly's father's bungalow the centre of life and gaiety for the subalterns and civilian youth of Hazarigur, while Mr. Charles Stain Brooker, whom he detested as a flamboyant bounder, he cut dead. 
He also bade Dolly remove the gentleman's name finally and completely from her visiting list, and on no account be at home when he called. All of which Dolly, quite flatly and finally, refused to do. Mr. Charles Stein Brooker, or the Herr Dr. Karl Stein Brücker, as he was at other times and in other places, was a very popular person wherever he went, and he went to an astonishing number of places. It was wonderful how intimate he became with people, and he became intimate with an astonishing number and variety of people. He could sing, play, dance, ride, and take a hand at games above the average, and talk. Never was such a chatterbox. On any subject under the sun, especially on himself and his affairs. And yet, here again, it was astonishing how little he said, with all his talk and ingenious chatter. Everybody knew all about dear old Charlie. And yet, did they know anything at all, when it came to the point? In most of the places in which he turned up, he seemed to be a sort of visiting manager of a business-house, generally a famous house with some such old-fashioned British name as Schneider and Schmidt, Max Engelbaum and Son, Plug and Schnardhorse, Hans Winkelstein and Gartenmacher, or Grosskopf and Dummelmann. In out-of-the-way places he seemed to be just a jolly globe-trotter with notions of writing a book on his jolly trip to India. Evidently he wanted to know something of the native of India, too, for when not in large commercial centres like Calcutta, Madras, Bombay or Colombo, he was to be found in cantonments where there were native troops. He loved the native officer, and cultivated him assiduously. He also seemed to love the Bengali, amateur politician, more than some people do. Often a thoughtful and observant official was pleased to see an Englishman taking such a friendly interest in the natives, and trying to get to know them well at first hand, a thing far too rare. There were people, however, such as Major Walsingham Green, who affected to detect something of a foreign flavour about him, and wrote him down as a flashy and boundarish outsider. Certainly he was a great contrast to the Major, whose clipped moustache, bleak blue eye, hard bronzed face, and close-cut hair, were as different as possible from Mr. Stainbrooker's waxed and curled moustache over the ripe red mouth, huge hypnotic and strange black eyes, pink and white puffy face, and long dark locks. And then again, as has been said, Mr. Stainbrooker was only happy when talking, and the Major only happy, if then, when silent. On sight, on principle, and on all grounds, the latter gentleman detested the jabbering affected, over-familiar, foreign-like fellow, and took great pleasure in ordering his bride, on their return from the ten days' leave honeymoon, to cut him dead, and cut him out of her life. And, alas, his bride seemed to take an even greater pleasure in defying her husband on this, and certain other points, in making it clear to him that she fully and firmly intended to live her own life, and go her own way, and in giving copious and convincing proof of the fact that she had never known discipline yet, and did not intend to make its acquaintance now. Whereupon poor Major Walsingham Green, while remaining the honourable, upright, and scrupulous gentleman that he was, exhibited himself the irascible, pompous fool that he also was, and by his stupid and overbearing conduct his, "'That's enough! Those are my orders!' and his hopeless mishandling of the situation, drove her literally into the arms of Mr. Charles Stain Brooker, with whom the poor little fool disappeared, like a beautiful dream. When his kind heart got the better of his savage wrath and scourged pride, the Major divorced her, and the Herr Doctor, 
who particularly needed an English wife in his profession of secret agent, especially commissioned for work in the British Empire, married her, broke her heart, dragged her down into the moral slime in which he wallowed, and on the rare occasions of her revolt and threat to leave him, pointed out that ladies who were divorced once for leaving their husbands might conceivably have some excuse, but that the world had a very hard name for those who made a habit of it. And then there was her daughter to consider too, his daughter, alas, but also hers. End of Part 1 Chapter 2